Welcome to Oncofarm. I'm your host, John Bazaar, Associate Professor at uh, the supporting sponsor for the Oncofarm podcast, which is the Bill Gap College of Pharmacy. I'm recording this on May 22nd, which is a little earlier than it will be released. Uh, i got some faculty retreat <coughs> uh, days coming up where, uh, where I will be out of the office of recording this in advance. And uh, this is going to be an update in recent Oncofarm news. Um, there's a bit to get to, so let's not waste any time and let's dig in. Uh, May 15th, a biosimilar version of Epoetin Alpha was approved. And uh, the, the established name here is Epoetin Alpha-EPBX. E is in Elder, P is in Paleo, B is in Bye-Bye, X is in Category X. And of course, this does also have the boxed warning about increased risk of cancer progression and potentially death in cancer patients. So. I would not expect a ton of use of, uh, of a biosimilar ESA, erythropoietin stimulating agent, erythropoiesis stimulating agent uh, in cancer patients, uh, something that's really fallen by the wayside pretty drastically. Uh, <clears throat> May 21st, and this is going to be the bulk of the pod, we have a new drug approved, uh, Avitrombopag. So this is not a drug to treat cancer. This is... Um, uh, a benign hematology drug. So this is a, a thrombopoietin receptor agonist. And the approval is for thrombocytopenia in adults with chronic liver disease in need of an invasive procedure. Not really a disease, but, but an indication where uh, apparently there was a drug met need. Um, now this is a, a, a patient population I encounter pretty frequently in my practice on the inpatient service. We get a lot of consults for thrombocytopenia, a lot of patients with liver disease, you know, have low platelets because the liver does a lot of things. Uh, it makes clotting factors, it detoxifies the blood, it serves as kind of a, a sentry or checkpoint against toxins entering the bloodstream from the GI tract. But it also makes thrombopoietin, which is um, the red blood cell equivalent of erythropoietin, but whereas erythropoietin is mainly produced by the kidneys, thrombopoietin mainly produced by the liver. So if the liver is not working and you have reduced synthetic function, not enough thrombopoietin uh, stimulating the bone marrow to make platelets. So the indication is based off of baseline platelet count. Uh, so this uh, comes as or will come as 20 milligram capsules, and if the baseline platelet count is less than 40, it's three 20 milligram caps, so 60 milligrams. Uh, PO with food times five days, um, and that needs to begin 10 to 13 days prior to the procedure. Uh, if the baseline plate count is 40 to 50, uh, then the dose is um, two-thirds of that, so 40 milligrams PO with food times five days, beginning 10 to 13 days before procedure. So why is 50 the goal? Well, for most surgeries, most invasive procedures, a plate count is 50 is sufficient to undergo an invasive procedure. The, the caveat would be um, um, cardiac procedures where the patient has to go on cardiac bypass. In most cases, uh, 100,000 platelets or 100 is considered the threshold that you need before surgery. <clears throat> so as I said, we see a lot of these patients in my practice and currently what, what is done is they get a transfusion of platelets and they go through the surgery just fine. So it should not come as a surprise that the, the endpoint measured to get these drugs approved were basically not required platelet transfusions. And we'll look at that data in a second. A little bit more about the ADME here. So uh, the absorption um, is variable unless it's taken with food. So taking it with food cuts down on the variability in drug absorption by about 50%. 
the package insert states that it's practically insol insoluble at a pH of 1 to 11, which is a very wide range. I guess you could also just say it's practically insoluble. Um, so there's no mention of a drug interaction with the PPIs, or HG receptor blockers, and acids, because presumably if it's not, <laughs> if it's practically insoluble at a pH of 1, pH of 6 doesn't make a whole lot of difference in, in bioavailability. It's 96% protein bound, and patients with chronic liver disease uh, in these studies presumably were not making a thrombopoietin, so it's pretty fair analogy. They weren't making a lot of albumin either, and I, I was not able to find baseline albumin in the published reports of this. So uh, keep that in mind. Metabolized by CYP3A4 and CYP2C9, and uh, we are able to see there's, there's good PK data about what happens, say, with fluconazole, which doubles the AUC and itraconazole, which is actually a less potent interaction because fluconazole inhibits both 3A4 and 2C9, whereas itraconazole only 3A4. And we think of itraconazole as typically being a more severe uh, interacting drug, but in this case, for avatromopag, fluconazole is, is a more um, problematic interacting drug. And the drug is eliminated 80%, 88% via the feces, 34% as unchanged drug. <clears throat> Pardon me. Approval was based on the ADAPT-1 and ADAPT-2 studies, which were identical, double-blind, randomized, controlled international clinical trials. Um, you can read about this in the press release from the FDA, but it's also recently published uh, in the journal Gastroenterology on May 11th of 2018. And what's up there is, as of right now, is just the accepted manuscript, like the, the proof of it. Um, that's by Noah Teralt and colleagues. So again, the, um, the primary endpoint here was, let me, if I can see my notes here, uh, was no platelet transfusion or treatment of a bleeding complication after procedure. And again, patients are randomized based on that platelet count. So in those that had a platelet count of 40 to 50, they call this the high baseline group, the, the, um, the percentage of patients who, who successfully had the procedure without needing platelet transfusion or, you know, say a bleeding complication were 88 and 88% in ADAPT 1 and 2 compared to 38 and 32% in ADAPT 1 and 2. So pretty big difference um, as far as cutting down on the need for platelet transfusion primarily. Uh, and those with a platelet count at baseline of under 40 and on average this was like a platelet count of 32. Um, 66 and 69% uh, did not require platelet transfusion or a bleeding complication fix versus 23 and 35% respectively in ADAPT-1 and ADAPT-2. So you're looking at that treatment effect of about 50%, um, you know, decreasing the number of platelet transfusions. Um, and this would this could be clinically important in patients who have a long history of requiring platelet transfusions because your, your body gets alloimmunized and then they no longer respond to platelets. A complication you see in your, uh, your induction leukemia patients, maybe MDS patients who require platelet transfusions over and over again to the point that you just can't find platelets that the body will not uh, destroy. Um, I will note that in the study they do, um, they list high and low risk procedures uh, the most common procedure that these patients received, and maybe not surprising based on the disease state, this happened in about half of all patients in these studies, was a low-risk procedure, um, upper GI endoscopies, um, including variceal, band variceal banding. So most of these were pretty, not even procedures that involve, you know, a scalpel, uh, an upper GI endoscopy. So how this uh, would relate to, say, um, 
you know, uh, a, a kidney biopsy, which is, is I would say is a lot more invasive than an upper GI endoscopy or, or even general surgery is unknown, uh, or at least we don't have as much data uh, as, say, an upper GI endoscopy. Um, so take that efficacy with it for what you will. We're decreasing platelet transfusions for the most part, um, so kind of a similar approval to the ESAs, which were uh, really approved to decrease red blood cell transfusion. And you can debate the merit of that endpoint uh, on your own time. Uh, as far as side effects, though, not a lot of side effects with this drug. Really, there's no difference in the side effects between the um, avatromopag group and the placebo group. You know, the numbers are basically exactly the same. Uh, the package insert does have a warning and precaution for thrombotic and thromboembolic events that appears to be based off of one of more than 400 patients in these studies that had a portal vein thrombus, which again is an, an, an unexpected thing <clears throat> in somebody uh, with chronic liver disease. So that's avatrombopag, new drug that uh, we have at our disposal. There is a publication and pr likely more out there um, about using this in ITP, immune thrombocytopenia purpura. Um, the one I found was in 2014, using a dose of 20 milligrams, seems to be pretty effective. Um, in chronic patients, certainly more so than placebo. So that may be an indication uh, that you might see in the future. <clears throat> um, and since it is already on the market, uh, you can see some physicians, maybe if data were to come out, trying to use this drug off-label uh, down the line if the data were to catch up to that before it were, were approved. Not something that I would recommend, but something that you might encounter. And finally, we're going to end by talking about the publication of Select D. And this happened um, on May 10th in the Journal of Clinical Oncology. The article was put up there um, online ahead of print as a, uh, I believe it was a rapid communication. Yeah. So <clears throat> this briefly was discussed on this pod um, probably in December when we did an update of ASH, the American Society of Hematology annual meeting, which happens in December. So um, I'll go through this briefly now that it's been published because we have a little bit more information about this. But this is the study comparing rivaroxaban versus doltaparin for treatment of VTE in cancer patients. So something that people have been waiting on for a long time. So just to, to briefly summarize, uh, there were 200 patients in each group, so an N of 400. Um, about half of these patients had metastatic disease, greater risk of thrombosis in those patients. Uh, and the primary endpoint was recurrent VTE. And the, the six-month cumulative VTE recurrence rate was 11% with doltaparin, 4% with rivaroxaban. And that is statistically significant. And in the bleeding of the six-month, major bleeding rate was 4% with doltaparin, 6% with rivaroxaban, not significant. But clinically relevant non-major bleeding was 4% with doltaparin and then 13% with rivaroxaban. So you saw uh, <clears throat> less thrombosis with the with the rivaroxaban, but more bleeding events with the uh, with uh, with the DOAC. So the question is should we do put everyone on DOACs? Are DOACs better than low molecular weight heparins? Are they worth maybe the benefit with the bleeding risk? And now that we have the, the publication, we can look into this a little bit more. And there is some interesting stuff in here. And the first thing that I'm going to start with as an oncology pharmacist and not say a coagulopathy or, or um, a vascular or DVT specialist is the patient characteristics. Um, so 70% of the patients in these studies, 70 and 69% respectively in each arm, were receiving cancer treatment. Um, you know, more than 80% receiving chemo. Um, 
15% each are receiving targeted therapy, but we don't know what those ages were. Were they VEGF antagonists like bevacizumab? That could certainly influence the bleeding rate if you know, you only have two, 200 patients in each arm and you have a few more on BEV, maybe that increased the bleeding rate or even the thrombotic risk. Um, endocrine therapy, you know, 11% in both arms, but uh, did one arm maybe have more tamoxifen, which would be a further thrombotic risk? That's something that we wouldn't know versus an aromatase inhibitor. And then our IMIDs like lenalidomide and pomalidomide which <clears throat> and thalidomide, which also increase the risk of VTE, uh, that's not known and broken down between the disease states as well. So that's something that I, you know, you would love to see um, stratification based on the highest risk, both uh, cancer drugs that could cause bleeding or thrombosis. Um, and if you look a little bit further at um, the primary endpoint, which is recurrent DVT, um, there were 18 patients who had a recurrent DVT in the daltopan group versus eight with rivaroxaban. Six of those recurrent uh, thrombotic events in the daltopan group were incidental PE findings on a CT scan looking for disease response. And maybe those aren't clinically, clinically significant. I can tell you in my practice, um, if we had a patient who had a DVT or PE at, with lung cancer and was on anoxaparin, which is our, our usual, usually used low molecular weight heparin, if they had an incidental PE that wasn't causing them symptoms and they're already on anoxaparin, we probably would continue that. We wouldn't call that a treatment failure. Um, but that was counted in the primary endpoint. Um, now, there was one of those events in the river oxbank group. By event, I mean an incidental PE finding on a, a CT scan. So if you remove those numbers, now you're talking 12 and 7 instead of 8 and 8, which decreases the rate of VTE from 5.9% versus 3.4%, which is probably not clinically significant. So even though 400 is a pretty good size study, especially in cancer patients, we still, I think, suffer a little bit from a lack of numbers here. Um, when you look further into the bleeding events, one thing that jumps out at you here is that patients with esophageal or gastric cancer uh, had higher bleeding events with the river oxybane, 36% versus 11%. Well, 36% is only four out of 11 in the river Roxman group. So again, if you just sway that number by, you know, three out of 11 instead of four out of 11, it's gonna make that number look a lot better for the river Roxman group, um, which currently looks bad. And again, gastric cancer is a drug where maybe you would use a remucirumab, a VEGF antagonist that might have increased that bleeding event uh, a little bit more, but we don't know uh, what chemotherapy drugs were on this. Um, and in general, this is one of my, uh, I guess, criticisms is a lot of these DVT and PE studies in cancer patients um, maybe don't fully take into account all the bleeding and thrombotic risk factors in cancer patients. Um, so, you know, the, the take-home points for this, in my opinion, uh, you know, what is the relevance of an incidental PE finding on a on you know, a CT scan evaluation. In practice, I'm not sure people would make a change on that if that's really a meaningful endpoint. Uh, I think you have to consider the confounding effects of the anti-cancer treatments and were those adequately balanced between the groups. There's a big assumption that they are um, because there's, you know, there's roughly equal amounts of each cancer in each arm, but depending on where things were treated, we, we wouldn't know what drugs were given. Um, and it's relatively small, you know, only 200 patients in each arm. But I think uh, for patients that are really, really apprehensive about injections, 
and do not want to use a low molecular weight heparin, this should give us all um, some reassurance that if we do use a DOAC, that it's not going to be worse at treating the DVT or PE uh, than using a low, low molecular weight heparin. That is a concern we would have if we used warfarin, is that warfarin has been shown to be inferior to low molecular weight heparins um, for treating VTE and active cancer. DOACs do not, are not in fear. They appear to be as good. I, I won't say that they are better than low molecular weight heparins, but they're at least as good. And, uh, and that gives us an added option, which is always good to have more options. So that's, that's the end of the pod. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Find us on iTunes. Rate, review us. Give us a five-star review. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you love. Tell us what you'd like to hear more about. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at FarmDetanib. You can follow the show at OncoFarmPod. Uh, at me. Let me know what you want to hear about. Uh, and I will see you all a little further down the road. Thank you.